0: Bible Greek, VPOD's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 2. In this lesson, you will learn the noun nominative case, and then we will look at John 1, verses 1 through 2, the introduction. First off, the noun. The nominative is the case of designation. It's the naming case. The chief use of the nominative is to identify the subject. In the Greek, the verb expresses its own subject, so when a noun subject is supplied, it is called in opposition. Opposition means next to. There are a couple of main functions of the nominative. One is, of course, to identify the subject, so you have the subject nominative. But in the Greek, there are several ways in which one can identify the subject. The first is using a noun with or without an article present. The second is using an adjective with or without an article present. The third is using a participle. A participle, if you remember, is that verbal noun. So using a participle with or without the article present, but usually with a participle the article will be present. So you would have the one who did something. A fourth use is just using an article without the noun and the conjunction day. A fifth use is to use an article without the noun present and use a prepositional phrase. Uh, Matthew 24:16 is an example. Let the ones in Judah flee to the mountains. And then a sixth use would be using a relative pronoun clause. The relative pronoun being the one who does not take his cross and follow after me. The one who is that relative pronoun clause identifies the subject. Another use is as a predicate nominative. The predicate nominative will either identify the subject for example John is the boss or it will qualify the subject John is a boss. You see the distinction? John is the boss is identify or qualify John is a boss. When two nominatives appear in a sentence, one is usually the subject nominative and the other a predicate nominative. For example in John 1, 1 we have two nominatives and a verb Theos, Hain, Ha, Lagos The Word was God. You notice the way it was switched around Ha, Lagos was moved to the front the Word and then the verb was And then the other nominative, theos, God. The word was God. It is not God was the word. Another use of the nominative is with the nominative absolute. The old grammarians called it the independent nominative because it stands alone. It doesn't need anything else in the phrase uh, for its use. The nominative absolute can be used in exclamations. Mark 3.34, for example. Behold my mother and brothers those are nominatives an exclamation it can be used in titles as in Ma- Matthew one one the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. the book would be that nominative in salutations some other uses of the nominative in the list of grammars. The different grammars will list different uh, types of these cases so I'm, I'm listing these as other because they're all not they're not consistent with their use of these. So here is a nominative of opposition. When one nominative is followed by another, which explains or identifies additional information about the first. We've already covered that, when you have two nominatives in the same sentence. Then there's the nominative of exclamation. When it is desired to stress a thought, the nominative is used without the verb. For example, in Romans 7, "O wretched man that I am! Then there's the nominative of address. The nominative of address is used much like the vocative. Example would be Luke 8:54, Child, arise. Then there's the nominative of appellation. When a proper name or title is mentioned, it is not unusual to find it in the nominative case instead of the case that is expected by its construction. So you would have the de- designation of a proper noun. And finally, the proverbial expressions. When you have a proverb, it is something of an idiom, and it has some history associated with that culture. So you have in 2 Peter 2.22, a dog returns to its vomit. Sometimes these proverbial expressions uh, end up being fragments. Now let us turn to 1 John. First thing I want you to do is get my translation from the website. Bible Greek VPOD, Intermediate Greek, Lesson 2. And get the detailed analysis out. Go down to the section that says Detailed Analysis, and, and we're going to look at, at the Greek a little bit here. First, let me let me just explain a little bit about this. My translation is not a good translation. It's a, uh, it's a translation meant to just bring out the word order of the Greek And so it's crude, and it's not a very good translation, but that's what I'm giving you. Uh, The second thing I would like you to do is as you get your translation and you get my detailed analysis, uh, you will notice a couple of things. One is, my Greek text that I use is the Texas Receptus. That's the Greek that they used for the King James Version. It's not the best manuscript, The NA-27 is a better manuscript, but the reason I use this older manuscript is because there is a lot of of free resources available with that. So that is what I'm going to use throughout this. Now the method we will use is I will give you, uh, I I will lead you through this translation material and then we'll give you some, some information about it. And, and hopefully that will help you out in your translation. This is a, really the second year Greek, and you've had your basics, and so it's now time to to dig a little bit deeper into it and get a little bit more practice, practice with translating, and so I'm going to be a little slow and a little bit more elemental in my process than most people. Most people go to an intermediate Greek and they will, they will treat you like an advanced student and, and I'm not going to do that uh, because you have had your first year Greek is the assumption is, that I'm using is you've had your first year Greek and so you're able to to crawl and it's now time that you learn how to walk and we're gonna walk you through the Greek and once you get comfortable with that then you can move on to more advanced topics that being said, let me speak just a little bit about the Greek text. The Greek texts that are out there, the intermediate Greek texts, are using the Greek from an grammatical aspect. Everything you learned in first year Greek, the basics, are what you need for Greek. What I'm going to be giving you in this intermediate Greek is stuff as the grammarians use in a grammatical fashion. So not all of your expositors will have the same opinion as to what these are. All the expositors will agree, for the most part, about the basics. What you had. Is it a genitive? Is it an ablative? Um, That type of thing. Now, What they will disagree upon is, for example, those things that come up with multiple options. Is it a nominative or an accusative or evocative when those case endings are exactly the same Most times it's clear and there's not a distinction but on occasion you will find some expositors who will find a difference and they will be that they will go for their opinions on that but in general, there's less disagreement within the basic Greek than there is with the second year Greek because the second year Greek primarily tends to apply grammar to the Greek so there will be different opinions so just a note keep that in your mind when we go through intermediate Greek not everybody will agree keep to the fundamentals the fundamentals do not change and you can make your decisions based on those fundamentals so let's get into 1st John. First I hope you have your detailed analysis before you as we go into this. Let me read the first four verses, this introduction to 1st John and I give that as the purpose of writing is chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Here's how I have translated that. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen by the eyes of us, which we have looked upon, and our hands they have touched and felt concerning the word of life. Indeed, the life had been made known, and we have seen, and we are testifying, and we are proclaiming to you the eternal life which was from the Father and had been made manifest to us. What we have seen and heard we are making known to you and in order that you might have fellowship with us. And moreover, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son of Him, Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing to you in order that our joy might be made complete. There's a purpose given for this writing. So you notice my translation is not a very smooth translation. It's not very good. But it follows the word order as much as possible. Let's look at the first two verses today. The first two verses... John Gibbs, in his introduction, reports that it is a historical message that is being received. Notice the first phrase: "Ha ein apo erakas." The first word is a relative pronoun, "ha," accusative, nominative, singular. The second word is your verb. By the way, in the translation work, I want you to make sure you parse every verb make sure you parse every verb Um, and give its root the root meaning of where it came from that's the important part here and then you're gonna identify your subject and then you're gonna identify your uh, your direct object identify your nominative and identify your accusative that will help you out quite a bit as we go through this so the first word is a, a relative pronoun second word is your verb and that verb is a imperfect, active, indicative, third-person singular from I-me. To be or to exist. He, she, or it was. Then there's the shortened form or the oppo, the preposition, from or out of. Then we have a genitive feminine singular for arche. Arche, from the beginning, or has its origin. That which was from the beginning. The relative pronoun has introduces a letter. The neuter pronoun is properly translated that which and has the idea that everything, both masculine and feminine, everything that existed topologically and prophetically from the beginning has testified concerning Christ. The neuter relative pronoun is repeated four times in verse 1 alone. Notice what Dr. Vincent says in his work, Vincent's Word Studies. The construction of the first three verses is somewhat involved. It will be simplified by throwing it into three parts. The first part, that which was from the beginning, the word of life, forms a suspended clause. The verb being omitted for the time, that he's talking about the main verb, and the course of the sentence being broken. So verse 2 forms this parenthesis. And the life manifested unto us verse 3 in order to resume that broken sentence of verse 1 repeats in a condensed form two of the clauses in that verse that which we have seen and heard and furnishes the governing verb we declare that's what he declares as his main verb thus the simple sentence divested of parenthesis and resumptive words would be here's how he would translate it to clarify it it's a very complex sentence We declare unto you that which was from the beginning, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. He puts it together very nicely. As can be seen, what is usually attributed as an easy book to translate, the first three verses present quite the challenge. The purpose of the relative pronoun is to introduce a subordinate clause. Much has been said concerning this neuter relative pronoun. It, no doubt, points to everything that the Old Testament has said in the form of words and types concerning Christ from the beginning of time up to the point of this writing. This is made clear by the phrase, ein apo arkes the imperfect, active, indicative, third person singular of a me, means that the action is ongoing, and is not yet brought to its intended accomplishment. Remember that imperfect. It's seen as something that has happened in the past, but the action is not completed, it's ongoing. I take this to be an inceptive imperfect, meaning continuous action, but the emphasis is at the initiation of the process, placed at the beginning of the action, rather than its progress. What then does this refer to? The timing is described as being from the beginning. The definite article is inserted as required by the English. The Greek has no need to specify definiteness for a point of origin such as 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 this word arche means the beginning. It's the origin. That's what that means. It's in the genitive case. The beginning could refer either to the beginning of time and creation, as John uses in in his gospel. John 1.1 1, 1, or it could mean the beginning with reference to Christ's incarnation as he uses in John 1.14. Many great expositors have taken either side. There's no consensus on this. I take this to be a point of origin at the creation of the world for two reasons. First the word of life that is Christ is pre-existent. Christ is pre-existent and John's writing consistently speaks of this pre-existence of Christ. He's, he speaks with reference to Christ's be, being from the beginning of time. He existed before his incarnation and he manifested himself before his incarnation in the garden. He manifested himself also as an angel in the Old Testament many times and through various means like dreams and visions. The second point is that from the before the creation of the world his plans and world history are clearly defined, including his people Israel, salvation, his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his kingdom. So you have the whole concept of predestination. You know, the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, before the creation of the world, he had planned these things. Our second phrase, which we have heard, And and ongoing. It places two neuters in a kind of literary one two punch. It starts with a neuter relative pronoun, Haas, and highlights the hearing aspect of the testimony. Everything concerning Christ that we have heard, the akuo, that verb, the perfect active indicative, first person plural, notice that it's a first person plural, and we have this singular relative pronoun. All of those things which we have heard, that perfect tense implies a process. It views the process as having reached its consummation, its completed act. In the New Testament, the perfect serves as a significant theological instrument. Since it views action as a finished product, it looks at both ends of the action and it implies a process. And it views the process as having reached its consummation, exiting in a finished state. See how mathematical this language is? How precise it is? This is a great language. Somebody had said that there is something like you could combine 24 tenses in the Greek. That is clarity. That is incredible. The perfect is often used for hearing, you have heard, for seeing, you have seen, in writing, in the passive sense, having been written, knowing, knowing, having known and presents saving knowledge as a completed state of being. That Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. In fact, let me read that to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. You see that? For by grace you have been saved, that that perfect passive, the mechanism given by faith, and that that is a gift. It's not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. What a great statement. Saving faith. Passive and perfect, a completed act. The next phrase, we continue with our relative pronouns in this verse, it's just incredible how this works. Which we have seen by the eyes of us, which we looked upon. Let's take a look at that a little closer. That phrase is opened up by that relative pronoun again. The accusative, neuter, singular, relative pronoun. And then the verb, the aomi, the aorist, middle, dependent, deponent, indicative, first-person plural. Look at that. The deponent, if you remember, is to be translated like the active. uh, To behold, to look upon, so we looked upon. Then the next word, the conjunction, and. And then we have our nominative feminine plural with a definite article, care, the hand, the then next we have uh, hemen, the men, uh, the independent personal pronoun from ego. It's a genitive plural. Then we have another verb, spleafo. It's an aorist, active, indicative, third person plural. To handle, to touch, and feel. Uh, so those ha- the hands uh, are plural. We, we looked upon in our hands. They touched, they felt. And then the preposition peri, about, concerning, on account of. To remember the prepositional picture, that around, it's concerning, it's, it's about things. And then we have the definite article with logos, the genitive masculine singular, word or saying. And then the genitive feminine singular with a definite article life. The author, as if to make it absolutely clear that what has been seen was physically seen, He says, which we have seen by our eyes. The eyes properly to stare at, as opposed to the metaphorical sense of the word, the eyes of the mind. We get the English word optics from this word, and it relates to vision. In the Greek, the word is used as an organ of sense perception. But at its heart is primarily perception using the eye. The perfect is again used of the verb oreo, Perfect active indicative, first person plural, to see. We have seen by the eyes. Notice the plural there, it matches the eyes. We have seen, all of us collectively have seen by our eyes. The instrumental case of the word eyes with the definite article is the case of means or instrument. It is by the eyes that we had seen these things. And finally, what had been seen was seen by our own eyes. The genitive pronoun is possessive, and it is, it was not by others' eyes, but by our own eyes. That instrumental case, the instrument is the case of means or instrument. We just say dative. I just list in my translation work just dative because that's generally how um, they will be described as but in that, you have to make a decision. Is it dated? Is it locative? Is it instrumental? Here, it's being used as by means or instrument. That's how one sees. The author and others of his day, some 60 years before, had seen the Lord. But the hour used here seems to point to everyone in the target audience. It's progressive revelation at play. Abraham heard and saw less than Daniel the prophet. Daniel less than John the apostle. The progressive revelation of God's word in history has been built up over the 1400 years from Moses to John, from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible, like any book, reveals the story progressively through time. From chapter to chapter until the entire book has been read. There is nothing left to be revealed. The book has been closed. So the idea. We have seen. We have felt. We have touched. The next phrase. And our hands they touched and felt concerning the word of life. The reality of the testimony becomes evident. As the author includes the hands. To handle. To touch and feel. We touched and felt the things concerning the word of life. The object of the phrase is the accusative relative pronoun, that which, whose neuter singular form, points to the abstract. All those things, called the collective. As it is not a single thing, that our eyes had seen, and our ears heard, and hands touched, but all the evidence, providing the testimony, concerning the message. The good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has life in himself. The one who sustains life, and who gives life. The word of life is given in the genitive expressing description or possession. It could be said the things we saw, heard, and touched circling around that peri is used. Around the things related to or belonging to the words related to life. These words are closely related by the Apostle John in the word, namely the God-man, Jesus Christ. Notice what John says in his gospel account. Truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. As John 5:24, The apostle now moves the action from the perfect, that's the completed act with effect to continue up to the point of writing, To the timeless heiress, this is incredible here. The heiress normally views the action as a whole, taking no interest in the internal workings of the action. It describes the action in summary fashion. So Linsky, listen to what Linsky says. John has two perfects and two heiress. The perfects convey the thought that what we have heard, what we have seen, has its continuous effect on us. A completed act, right? He goes on to say, John's gospel uses a number of such significant perfects. Besides them, John places decisive heiress of fact. We did actually behold. We did actually handle. There's reality there. See that? As the perfect stress the continuing effect, so the heiress stresses the actuality. What Linsky points out by saying heiress of fact and we did actually behold is the indicative mood, the fundamental of that indicative mood. The indicative mood means the action is actually taking place. Notice the word theaomi. It's an aorist, middle deponent, indicative, third person, first person, plural, to behold, to look upon. The word means to view carefully as a spectator, one who looks at a thing with interest and for a purpose, usually indicating the careful observation of details. The word combines with the next verb, spleopho, aorist, active, indicative, third person plural, to handle, to touch and feel. They are hands touched from the base spleo, to pluck off or to pull out. We notes this. In the late Greek, it meant to examine closely. The word is used of the Greek translation of the Old Testament when blind Isaac felt the hands of Jacob. Remember in Genesis 27:22, the old man puzzled by at the voice of Jacob handled his hands with a view to investigating whether the speaker was really Esau. The same word is used in Luke 24:39, where our Lord said, "Handle me with a view to investigating and see." Because a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Our Lord's proof to the disciples that what was raised in the personal body, in that physical body in which he died, was based on the scientific evidence of that sense of touch. Verse 2, the first phrase there. Indeed, the life had been made known. Verse 2 reflects and stresses what was said in verse 1 so the translation indeed for that conjunction kai this starts it out kai hei zoe that life zoe is a nominative feminine singular with a definite article and then fanaro eris passive notice the passive there fanaro eris passive indicative third-person singular to make manifest or visible or known he she or it had been made known the definite article used for life, points not to the Lord, but to what he provides, namely life. And this life is something that has been made known. It has been revealed. The tense is really an aorist. It's not a perfect, but most translations use the aorist as cumulative, but the sense is really expressed with the aorist in mind. That is, it does not distinguish the action as complete or incomplete. It just simply states the action took place in the past without regard to its duration. As such, this aorist is seen as cumulative aorist. The action is viewed in its results. So we often have this translation, life has been made known. In English, it's hard to convey that, so we have this perfect tense to it. What John uses here is phanero, the aorist passive indicative to make manifest or make known. It has that basic sense of what has been hidden is now known. In this sense, the meaning most likely is that what in this sense, the meaning most likely is that which has become known and thoroughly understood since our Lord has made the subject life, eternal life, known. The passive has been made known means what was made Known occurred external, even independent of ourselves man on his own will not accept the things of God unless God himself makes a change in them in the individual. this passive makes eternal life personal it makes it relevant and effective to those included in this class of people belonging to the group that John refers to us the, this letter written to the believers the next phrase. And we have seen, and we are testifying, and we are proclaiming to you the eternal life. It starts out with a conjunction. And then we have this perfect active indicative first person plural, areo, to see, to have seen, we have seen. Then another conjunction. Look at those conjunctions. And it's made it up next to martyrio, present active indicative first person plural, to be a witness, to bear witness. And then there's another conjunction. One conjunction right after the another. With a present active indicative first person plural. Look at all these verbs. To bring word, report. Apangelo. A present active indicative first person plural. To bring word, report, to proclaim. What a great little section here. This word, apangelo, comes from the compound apo, is from an anglos, the messenger, or an angel, an envoy. We are proclaiming then the personal pronoun men. the sue it's a personal pronoun second dated plural you and then what the definite article with the zoe an accusative feminine singular life and then there's this another definite article and another accusative fengula, feminine singular with a definite article an adjective with a definite article eternal life This golden chain of ands brings the relative pronoun construction, that which, into full light. As that which is seen is seen, that which is heard is testified, and that which is touched is proclaimed. All this involves the gift given to mankind, eternal life. All these things, of course, concern that which God has done in sending his Son in the flesh to be, as John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That which was given refers to the message concerning eternal life. This is what John gives in verse 5. That message concerns the life we have in Jesus Christ. We have seen that life. The perfect active indicative means that one seeing has seen what was made known in the past and the effect continues up to the time of writing. In seeing, horeo, we have properly stared at this life, either with the eyes or but more likely in this sense, with the mind. We can imagine. We have stared at eternal life with the mind. Can you imagine? We have stared at eternal life with the mind. God has opened the mind, opened the heart, by cutting away that excess skin, blocking one's vision concerning the things of God. That was corrupted at the fall. God himself will circumcise the heart of man and make him or her alive. That's what prophesied in Deuteronomy 30. That life in Christ that was testified to us by different means, namely by the scriptures, and by the prophets, and by John the Baptist, by miracles, and by Jesus Christ himself, it is, however, now our witness. That is, we are to witness one to another through the generations. That's given by this Greek material, the present active indicative. It has that continuous effect on it. We bear witness. We continue to witness, to testify. A heritage of individual testimony of the good news concerning eternal life that is spread by human proclamation that will continue as the Great Commission is commanded by the Lord himself. That Great Commission of Matthew 28. The Greek, apangelo the present active indicative first person plural to bring word to proclaim to make known that has that proclamation of jesus christ as savior of the world john does not use the word gospel in his writings except in revelation 14 he says this and i saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel whoa the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That great commission was given. John prefers to use the word life or eternal life. He doesn't really use the word gospel like Paul does. The definite article makes this eternal life specific, describing that message that is believed and that which, that which brings eternal life. John in his writings uses the word belief. He's used the word belief as it involves salvation some 96 times. It's incredible. This presentation that John uses is uniquely Jewish. But it is equivalent to Paul's Western presentation of the gospel. Paul proclaims the gospel. He announced the gospel that we are to proclaim today in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. Let me read that. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. See, that's what he's preaching. He's preaching this gospel. He's going to give us this gospel again. And by which also you received and in which you stand. By which also you are saved. This is the gospel that saves. This is what we believe. We, Paul uses the word faith. John uses the word belief. It's the same package. I'm going to continue here. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. So the first basics of the gospel is this that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But he's not true. There's another leg to the death, burial, and resurrection. There's the witness. And that he was seen by Caiaphas, then by the twelve, and after that seen by over 500 brethren at once. That gospel that Paul presents and gives so clearly in a Western mindset is given by John as the message of eternal life. That's what he's speaking about here. The next phrase. Notice how that phrase opens. It starts with a relative pronoun, hostis, it's the nominative feminine singular. And it's a combination of has, that relative pronoun who, which, what, and tis, a certain one or a specific one. So he is speaking here about a specific message. So it's translation whoever, whatever, whichever. And then that verb, that imperfect a verb is given again, just like the opening verse. Then the preposition pros, unto, to, near. Then the petir, the father is given with the definite article, the accusative masculine singular, another conjunction chi, and then the aorist passive indicative third person singular verb, panero, is used again, to make manifest or known or visible, and then the personal pronoun, amen, from ego, first person dative plural pronoun. This eternal life, or rather the program, the plan, that message, that brings eternal life, is specific, as brought out by that Greek relative pronoun, and wonderful compound, which makes it specific. The other point to be made is this specific message is from the Father. The imperfect means the message was given in the past, but it says nothing about its completeness. Here it can be viewed in a couple of different ways. As a progressive imperfect of description. Remember the basic meaning here. Remember your basic Greek. The imperfect is an incomplete act. But it happened sometime in the past. It just says nothing about its, its completeness. So with that in mind, here we build these other grammatical techniques. As a progressive imperfect of description, the process, the plan, or the message is presented as actually being presented and ongoing in past time. A second way to take this is a repeated or iterative imperfect. In an iterative imperfect, it describes the action as reoccurring at successive intervals or repeated action in past time. That is, the message has been repeated again and again and again from the Father. Either way you take this, the message has been made manifest to us. It's been made known to us. The Greek phanero, that eris passive indicative, to make manifest. Either visually or mo- known by teaching, the word comes from the basic word phanero, to bring forth into light. Theologically, has the connection to the opening of the eyes of the heart by God himself. That wonderful Jeremiah 24-7, the new covenant of Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. That wonderful ministry of God who uses mankind to spread the good news to mankind. But it is God himself who opens the eyes of man to the message. Otherwise, the message is foolishness to the lost. Well, we have only covered two verses. I hope this has helped you greatly in your translation work. I pray that as we go through this, both your vocabulary and your translation work improves. So go do the translation work. For the next lesson, we'll do verses 3 through 5.